So people of God in Christ, as we start a new year, my thought is for a series of sermons in the morning service. In the evening, we'll continue uh, in the Gospel of Mark. But in the morning service, uh, a series studying and teaching the Ten Commandments. Uh, if this plan doesn't appeal to you uh, at the outset, let me give you some reassurance that uh, effort will be made to understand the law of God, first of all, in terms of God's goodness. Second, in terms of a ministry that actually draws us to Christ. Thirdly, the law of God even shows us what Christ did for us. By looking at the Ten Commandments, we can even see what Jesus did for us, even in his cross to save us from our sins. And fourth, the law of God shows us how to live a life of thanksgiving to God. These are the four points to focus on this morning by way of introduction. And then as we proceed with each of the Ten Commandments over the coming weeks, let's, uh, let's plan to understand each command of God in, in these ways. Again, number one, the holiness and goodness of God. Number two, the ministry of the law to give us ears to hear the gospel. Number three, the obedient work of Christ for our salvation. And number four, the law of God as a rule of gratitude, as we say, within a life well lived for Christ. So why might we chafe at the law of God? Well, we do so because of sin. That's the simplest answer. But we might chafe at the, at the law of God because sin specifically makes us doubt the goodness of God and rebel against the blessing of his kingdom. Think of it this way, that, that among those people living in the land of a good king, there will be those who go about their lives and, and their business enjoying his reign over them, his reign to protect them and to keep order in the land. But there will also be those who, who don't want the king's protection, who say, I don't need the king's protection. And, uh, and the king's protection of all his subjects is keeping me from doing the harm and taking the advantage that I would take of others around me. And where are we between those two perspectives? Do we appreciate a good God who keeps order in the land? Or do we resent a God who keeps us from doing what we want to do, regardless of how we might hurt ourselves or hurt others with whom we share this world? We probably go back and forth between the two, do we not? Uh, it, it fits with how we might respond to the, the law of man. For example, uh, the requirement of paying our taxes. For example, April 15 will be here soon enough. And uh, on one hand, we might grumble at uh, what the government takes from us. I know I do. Uh, on the other hand, we like fire protection. We like police protection. We like good roads. We like not having to be at some greater risk from those who would otherwise go too fast or run red lights or break other laws that, uh, that, that would keep our roads more safe and 
our communities more healthy. Which brings up the other obvious example of our of our duplicity uh, that we hate seeing those blue and red lights in our in our rearview mirror. Yet we love seeing the red and blue lights when they are coming to help us when we are in trouble. So transfer this then to our view of God's law. The first thing we need to understand is that God is a good God. The second thing is that God has a good purpose in giving us his law, his Ten Commandments. Third, that it's grace upon grace by the law because God does a gracious work by his law as it leads us to saving faith in Jesus Christ. And fourth, it is not the right thing to do, or is it not the right thing to do to say, as the psalmist does, what shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me? Is it not the gracious thing to set out in life seeking to live by the law of God in thankful, joyful, willing response to how much Jesus has done for you. To introduce the law of God, let's first consider that the law of God is a testimony to God's holiness. Why is it that when we hear the Ten Commandments and think that God is calling me to be holy without making the connection to his own holiness. Maybe we admit, we acknowledge that God is holy, but then we find it offensive that he expects us to be holy too. But here's where we need to remember the story of creation. We need to remember that God created us holy in Adam and Eve. We need to remember and to think about it, that God didn't create us and then said, okay, you have to achieve holiness. You have to attain to my holiness. The Heidelberg Catechism puts it this way in question and answer five. Did God create people so wicked and perverse? Answer, no, God created them good in his own image. That is in true righteousness and holiness. And from our own confessions, from the Westminster Confession, it says, after God had made all other creatures, he created man, male and female, with reasonable and immortal souls, endued with knowledge, righteousness, and true holiness after his own image. So here's the perspective given to us by God's world. God's word, uh, if we will accept it and believe it, that, that as God requires obedience of us, even as he demands perfection of us, he is not being unjust. Too many people think that God is being demanding when he requires obedience of us. Isn't it interesting that the word demanding is almost always heard in the negative. Oh, he's being, she's being demanding. But cannot a demand be a just demand? 
Should we not demand that others not abuse us or take advantage of us? If you owe money to a creditor, may, may they not demand fair payment of your debt? And so it is with God that as he requires obedience, as he even demands righteousness, he is only requiring and demanding that which he first gave to all mankind at creation. A good illustration for this, I'm, I'm sure I've used it before, uh, is the father who sends his son to the store to buy a loaf of bread, let's say. It's an illustration, uh, I'm sure, that comes to me from my own childhood because uh, uh, I was sent on, on occasion up to the grocery store, Eisner's Grocery, um, just a few blocks away uh, to buy something for my mom. So the son is sent to the store to buy a loaf of bread. He gets to the store and he buys candy instead. Enough to make him sick to his stomach because he has to eat it all quickly before he gets back home. So he arrives home. He arrives sick to his stomach without the money and without the bread. He is completely unable to produce either one, the money or the bread. And yet he is still responsible, isn't he? He can't say, Dad, you know, don't hassle me. I, I'm, I'm not feeling so well. The question is, why is he not feeling so well? Even more, where is the money? Where is the bread? So can we not see that unless there is a God who himself is the standard of holiness, that there is really no such thing as, as good and evil. And can we not admit that the law of God then brings about that, that, that comparison between God and man, that while God is holy, man is sinful. And this is where we need the gospel of God in order to submit to the law of God. We need the gospel of God, the good news of Jesus Christ, to bring us to see that God is holy so that he is good. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. So, so it's a curious thing. If you think about it, a curious thing to try to decide which should come first, the law or the gospel. Because unless we have the law, why should we care about the gospel? But unless we have the gospel, why would we ever submit to the law without first knowing by the gospel that God is good? Think of a, think of a criminal on the run from the law. Why would he ever walk into a, a police station and turn himself in unless he knows there is mercy waiting for him. Otherwise, he runs and he hides. And this is what sinners do. This is maybe what you're doing in your life. Running from God, thinking you can hide from the God who sees all and knows all. So you need the law of God to, to show you that God is good. 
that mercy awaits you upon turning yourself in. You need the gospel to show you that being good, God is merciful towards you. Isn't this amazing that the very holiness of God by which we are condemned is also the goodness of God by which we are saved. So come and find rest in Jesus. He is the very essence of God's goodness. He is God's goodness, even for your forgiveness, your righteousness, and your salvation from sin. So next is the law of God as a teacher of sin. And we will be putting a big emphasis on this uh, be forewarned as we go through each of the Ten Commandments. So, so be forewarned, but, but don't stay home because we need this. We, we need the law of God to show us, to teach us our sin. Because otherwise, what do we do? We just, we just compare ourselves to, to the guy on the news who just got arrested. Or we compare ourselves to our neighbor who, who doesn't go to church. We go to church, he doesn't, bam, we're good. But why do we go to church? Do we also have other gods? Do we worship God truly for who he is? Do we worship God throughout the week as well? Are we trusting in God? Or are we thinking to use God for our own pride and, and purpose? The law of God, the Ten Commandments, will, will take us deep into our own hearts. If we hear it and, and understand it rightly, the law of God will reveal to us the false gods that we are trusting in, the false worship we are offering to God, worshiping God with our lips when our hearts are far from him. The law of God will reveal how we dishonor the name of God, not necessarily by our cursing and our, our OMGs, but by being known as a Christian when we're not living it. The law of God will call us to rest when we would prefer to work. The law of God will call us not to kill, not to commit sexual sin, not to steal, not to lie, not to covet. Whether in our hearts or with our hands or by our words and all to teach us. If we will humble ourselves, if we will submit to this ministry of God's law, all to teach us that we are sinners. The law of God covers it all. And at every point, it shows us not only that this is what God justly requires of us, but this is exactly what we do and what we don't do in violation of God's law. The second point would not be complete, I think, without giving you at least some of the verses or passages that teach us that this is the ministry of God's law. I'm not making this up. This is what God's word teaches. God's own purpose in giving his law is to teach us our sin. The law is not our ladder into heaven. If we think it is, we are either full of pride, thinking we're on our way, or we're full of despair, knowing by the law that we are bound for hell. So Romans 3 verse 20 says, For by works of the law, 
No human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. Again, in Romans 5, verse 13, sin is not counted where there is no law. Conversely, sin is counted by the law. Yet again, in Romans 7, verse 7, Paul writes, What then shall we say? That the law is sin? By no means. But if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. The abundant teaching of God's word is that, is that we are not saved by our obedience. We, we, we need to be saved, and, and, and we really need obedience but we so easily get the two switched around. The teaching of God's word is that we are saved unto obedience and not obedient unto salvation. Oh, that we could keep that straight in our minds. That really is the good news of Jesus Christ, that we, uh, that we are not uh, saved by obedience, but saved unto Obedience, and why do we get it wrong? Well, it cannot be anything other than pride. We either think we can save ourselves, or we know we can't. The first is clearly the matter of pride. Here is God's law. I will do it. God will be pleased. I will be saved. But the second, knowing we can't, really is still pride. If we face despair under the commandments of God and yet do not cry out for mercy. Of course, going back to the criminal who will never turn himself in until he knows he will find mercy. We need the law and the gospel. We need to be taught our sin. We must be shown our weakness. It has to be given to us. To know that we are in need of the gift the gift of forgiveness and righteousness and salvation. So, dear fellow sinner, hear the law of God. Heed the commands of God. Try your hand at them and see if you can do them. And when you inevitably find yourself falling short, then learn that the law is not your ladder into heaven. You need mercy, and we all need forgiveness God justly demands righteousness, perfect obedience, but in mercy, God provides the very thing that he demands. He meets the requirement for righteousness. And he does so without violating his justice because he raises up one of us to represent us. Jesus, the man of Nazareth. Man owes God perfect obedience because God gave man righteousness in the beginning. And since man has sinned, man must pay for his sin. And Jesus does both as a man. He obeys perfectly. As Jesus himself said, he fulfills all righteousness. But then what? Having obeyed the law of God perfectly, he went to the cross there to pay the penalty for our sin. We need to be careful not to think of God 
cycling through possibilities as uh, as God started out with creation only to be met with the, the fall of man into sin. Oh, well, that didn't work. I guess something more will need to be done. Next comes the law. Maybe maybe by giving his commands, his people will be saved. Oh, well, that didn't work. I guess I will we'll have to go to further extremes and send a savior to do it for them, to do it all for them. Does it need to be said that this is not the teaching of God's word? All we have to do is, is to listen to the law itself. All we have to do is pay attention that when God first gave his law at Mount Sinai, his people were already saved. Here's the alternative false story. Again, false story. Moses is out with his sheep. He sees a burning bush. He goes over to hear God speaking to him out of the burning bush. And there God gives Moses his law and says, take these Ten Commandments to my people in Egypt. Teach them these my laws and, and tell them, give them this promise that if they obey, I will save them. If they obey, I will deliver them from slavery in, in Egypt. If they do not obey, then slaves they are and slaves they will stay. But if they obey, then, then I will send my plagues upon Egypt. Then I will convince Pharaoh to let them go. Then I will part the Red Sea uh, to save them at the exact same time that I destroy their enemy. It's up to them. Give them my law and tell them it's up to you. Instead, how do the Ten Commandments begin? I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. Let us take notice that as the law of God is given at Mount Sinai with a, with a terrifying manifestation of God's holiness, yet salvation is complete. The law of God was not given at Mount Sinai prior to salvation, but after. God is saying to his people, have you noticed that there's no whip cracking over your heads or worse across your back? Can you not see that you are free? Come to think of it. That might have been a good ser a title of the sermon. Can you not see that you are free? Can you not see that you are free? And God had saved his people in, in the most remarkable of ways. Ten devastating plagues sent upon Pharaoh and the Egyptians. By the time the people of God were let go, Egypt was in utter ruin. That's the point. God devastates the enemy of his people so that his people walk free. And the devastation continues because while Egypt was devastated, Pharaoh and his army remained as a powerful force until the parting of the Red Sea and the closing of the Red Sea. Isn't that funny? We think about the parting of the Red Sea. That's only half of it. The other half is the closing of the Red Sea over the heads of Pharaoh and his army. Point again, God saves his people and then gives them his law. 
Can it be any more simple than that? God saves his people and then gives them his law. It's we and our pride that make it more complicated. Same is true for you and me. The law of God, the Ten Commandments, are not our ladder into heaven. Uh, God never says, if you do this, I will save you. He doesn't say that because he knows better. It's not, uh, well, let's try this. Okay, that didn't work. I guess I will have to uh, provide salvation by grace. So let us hear the Ten Commandments. And let us hear them as commandments, not as, as God's suggestions or his, his guidance for a, a happy life. And in hearing them as commandments, let us learn our sins. Let us learn it deeply, even to our great humiliation. And by learning our sin, along with the holiness and the goodness of God in the gospel, let us let our ears be open to how God has saved us through what Christ has done for us. So a third point is a testimony to Christ's work for us. This too, the Lord willing, will be our approach to each of God's commandments. And, and this is what the gospel does for us. Because of Christ, by his obedience for us, and through our faith in him, we get to read the just demands of God as what Christ has done for us. You shall have no other gods before me. Christ did that for me. You shall not make a graven image. Christ obeyed this perfectly for me. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Christ has fulfilled this command as well. And so with all the others, remember the Sabbath day, honor your father and your mother. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. You shall not covet. When Jesus was baptized, he, he had to convince John to do it. Do you remember? Why, why would I baptize you? John had asked when you must baptize me. And Jesus explained, it is necessary for us to fulfill all righteousness. And that at, at that point in his life, Jesus was already living a perfect life, a life without sin. But he would continue to live a life without sin, and his obedience would not be complete until he reached the cross. For Jesus, our Savior, his obedience included the call of his Father to suffer and die in the place on behalf of his sinful people. I think this gets missed, that when Jesus died on the cross, two things were being accomplished. His death was that we would be forgiven and not condemned and punished for our sin. And his death was the completion of his perfect obedience. He was obedient even unto death, even death on a cross. His death was the completion of the righteous of the righteousness that he earned for us to be counted to us as we trust in him as our Savior. Finally, a rule of gratitude. This uh, this is the traditional theological language for understanding the law, the, the law of God flowing from God's own holiness, teaches us our sin, leads us to Christ, 
and shows us then how to live thankfully to God. And are we not right back to Romans, which we just finished last week? But that flow, that that logic, that pattern of God's own wisdom continues. Sin, salvation, service, or guilt, grace, and gratitude. And this takes us back again to Mount Sinai, to the giving of the law, because salvation was theirs. God's people had been saved, and God was calling them, teaching them, even claim, claiming them as his own. And he was now their king rather than Pharaoh. And rather than living in squalor with a whip across their backs, they, they would live in luxuriance, the same luxuriance that Pharaoh had reserved for himself. They would be free and prosperous in a land flowing with milk and honey, as it says. And, and would they not be grateful by way of the, the change, the transition? It's, it's really the ultimate rags-to-riches story. Israel in Egypt to Israel in the Promised Land. Oh, but there is one better story. The story of Jesus, who came to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. In order that we would be saved. Story of Jesus who defeated our enemy. Who defeated the devil at the cross. Who rose up victorious from the grave. So that we would no longer belong to Satan. But belong instead and forever to him. Here is the doctrine of redemption. Here is the teaching of God's word that what Christ did for us was to buy us. We might want to, we might not want to think of it this way because we would rather own ourselves. That's not the reality of this world. The reality of this world is that either we belong to the ruler of this world, bound for hell along with him, or we are bound for heaven because we've been redeemed, we've been purchased. We've been blood-bought so that we belong to Christ. And the mark of true faith is that we do not resent the ownership of Christ. We do not resent the ownership of Christ. We do not resent his law because apart from it, we are not free and under self-ownership, but are still belonging to the evil one. With gratitude, we should say to Christ, you are my king. Tell me what to do today. Here I am. Send me on a mission today. Employ me in your kingdom service. Use me. Even use me up. Because you have given me eternal life. Lord Jesus. When Christ has given us eternity, even eternity in heaven. Do we, do we really believe that? Well, if we do, then how can we think to deny him our, our full service of the few days that we have on this earth? Who cares if I go broke? What, what does it really matter if I die tomorrow, if I die in service 
to the king who has given me eternity in heaven. That's what it is to live in, in gratitude to Christ who shed his blood, who gave his all, that we might have his all by his reward shared with us. Well, the Lord willing, the plan is to go through each of the Ten Commandments to one degree or another, thinking uh, about each one as the revelation of God's own holiness, as his call for us to be holy, thinking about each one as a teacher of sin, that we might see how much we don't do what he commands and do what he tells us not to do. Thinking about how Christ has done it for us, for the credit of his righteousness to us, and and also to light the fire of gratitude under us, saying, I want to do this. I, I know I will fall short. I, I know that the only perfection uh, that will save me is the, is the perfection that I already have by faith in Jesus Christ. But I want to do this for my Savior. I want to do this for the one The one whom I love. Because he has loved me. May God bless us in this series. And may Christ be exalted. Amen. Let's pray. As strange as it sounds. On the ears of the world. And upon the ears of flesh that we too often still have, we thank you for your law. We thank you for your law to convict us of sin, to show us our need for Christ, to reveal to us your holiness, O God, our Father. Help us indeed to receive this conviction, but to do so knowing at the very same time that we don't do what your law commands, Christ did for us. And help us, indeed, to then have hearts of gratitude, hearts of joyful thankfulness, living for Christ because of what he has done for us. In his name we pray. Amen.